Previously on Beyond the Panels. At the start of the 1970s, the comic book industry became... I, I read the early Batman comics. I read a lot of the Denny O'Neill comics. And revivals of pulp characters like The Shadow and Conan the Barbarian were also successful. Uh, not so much. Uh, I thought I would go and get a boring job and uh, do that. And the first graphic novel. My name is Lee, and I welcome you to Beyond the Panels. This week, we sit down with renowned writer Pat Shand to discuss his life and experience in the comic books industry. Before we get started, though, I want to invite you to check out our website. Thanks to WordPress.com, Beyond the Panels has a nice web page with links to our Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. We also have a Ko-fi page if you wish to send some support. The easiest way to support us, though, is sharing a review on your favorite podcasting platform to help more listeners find us. Stay tuned after the show to learn where you can find Pat Shand and more Beyond the Panel stuff. Thank you for support, and without further delay, let's meet Pat Shand. Um, if, if we could start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself... Yeah, sure. Um, I am Pat Shand. I'm a writer of uh, of comics and novels. I have a kitten on my shoulder right now. She is not going to let this happen normally. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, right now um, I have uh, some new books launching this year. I'm continuing some old work. I'm trying to get into some self-publishing myself. And yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, live the freelance writer life. Okay. I think I saw that recently you had a a story published with Adventure Time. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, that was uh, <laughs> Adventure Time Comics number 17. And, yeah, that was definitely a dream come true for me. Are you a fan of the show? Was that something that... Yeah, it's funny. I, I had actually... Um, I had always intended to watch the show, and pretty soon into watching it is when Alex, who was a friend of mine and an editor at Boom, he hit me up and asked if I had any interest in in working on the comics, and uh, that was a resounding yes. It was one of those shows where, uh, where when you begin watching... It, you, you don't have that transition period of, do I like this? Do I not like this? As soon as you start watching it, you just fall in. I love the world, love the characters, and Marceline is just is just precious, a gem. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely, definitely excited. Awesome. Okay. Um, so when how were you first introduced into comics, and how have they affected your life? Well, you know what? I, I did... Um, I had a shoebox full of comics as a kid, uh, just about uh, 10 or 15 comics, single issues that I was given, and I read a few, enjoyed them, uh, and the one I loved was uh, Stephen King's Creep Show. I loved that one, even though it scared me senseless, uh, but I didn't really start reading comics on the regular until I was 20 years old. I fell off of comics young, um, and focused mostly on reading novels, prose. I was a big Goosebumps type guy. Uh, and then I didn't really re revisit novels. I mean, I mean uh, comics until uh, in my 20s, I found out that Buffy the Vampire Slayer was going to continue through comics. Uh, so I, I knew I had to continue my love for all things Buffy. 
and uh, I picked up the comic from Dark Horse, and then Angel was being continued at IDW, and I saw all these shows that I thought I uh, that I thought were done as a kid that I loved continue through comics, and this uh, I began to explore the world of licensed comic titles like Adventure Time, all that stuff, and. Um, I quickly found out that amazing things were being done in this medium that I had for my teenage and some of my adult years had kind of ignored. And I realized what I've been missing. You know, I've been missing stuff like Why the Last Man, Runaways, so many great books, blankets. And um, I fell in love pretty quickly. Uh, and I saw that as a writer, you know, I had focused so much of my energy on the novel game, on trying to get a literary agent that I didn't realize that there was this field that was so much more interactive and that I, I could talk to the writers and artists who were making these books on Facebook right now, right then. So as soon as I began to read comics, I began to interact with the people making them and that pretty much opened my uh, my career path kind of right there awesome so when on that note on the career note um did you when you were younger you you didn't think this would be a career choice what were you, oh, you no. were thinking yeah. of novels <laughs> yeah totally novels i mean kind of just novels at first and then i began to uh look at tv because uh, i mean some of the best writing now even is happening in tv because you get um you get a more collaborative process. You get a whole seasonal arc to, uh, to 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 write your characters, to to develop, and that medium is amazing as well. But yeah, for me, it was mostly a focus on novels. And then as I grew older, I expanded to uh, writing short films and playwriting. But it wasn't until much further down the road that I had already had some uh, short stories and plays produced that I began to look toward comics. So, um, <laughs> so what is what is one of the some of the biggest differences you've noticed in writing novels and and screenplays versus writing a comic book script? Well, you, and what are some of the pros and cons of both? Well, you know what the uh, the con of uh, writing so many comics as I have, and then going back to novels as I'm doing now, because uh, this past year. I released my first four novels, which, which were all original Marvel titles. Um, and going back to writing full-form, full-length novels after writing about 200 or so comics is that you, you're alone, you know? I mean, you're there's no... There's no sense of, okay, I wrote a 22-page issue. It's the artist's job now. After they draw the pages, I can tweak my own writing in lettering. Throughout the comics, it's a very collaborative process where you have all these chances to correct your mistakes. And even if you don't do the best job, the artist has kind of got you, you know? Um, but with prose, you are... You're all alone, right? Like, it, if a novel sucks... No one's going to blame an artist or a letterer or an editor, as so many reviewers do. They're going to rightfully blame me, right? So, <laughs> so, so, and plus, there's, um, there's this release of dopamine that you get once you finish an issue, right? Like, right now, um, I'm writing a few series, and when I finish an issue of, say, Breathless, which is my creator-owned book coming from Black Mask this year, I can then 
pause that and move to a different title from a different publisher and have that rush of just a, a nice change, a little bit of completion. But with a novel, I mean, I wrote uh, Thor this year, right? And it was such an amazing but grueling process. It was just night, day and night, day and night, because there, there's no sense of completion until it's done. And it's a much longer process. So, yeah, it's it's so different in ways that I couldn't have imagined when I began to write comics. Okay, that's really that's really interesting. I'd never thought of, you know, the collaboration, the, the, the room, um, the back and forth between the artists and everything. You have a huge... Uh, library under your belt of of just just awesome comics what are what are your favorite types of stories to write you know i mean thank you first of all um (laughs) uh my favorite stories to write are the stories that i mean the ones that i create from scratch pretty much you know because in in comics there are kind of two kinds of work right you have your work for hire, and then you have your creator-owned. I definitely prefer creator-owned, but that just might be because I've done so much work for hire and I've put so much of myself into my work for hire for years because, I mean, for years I was exclusive to Zenoscope Entertainment. They kind of signed me on exclusive uh, after two gigs elsewhere, two short gigs at different publishers, IDW and Big Dog Inc., as soon as I started to work for Cenoscope, they scooped me up and they had me in an exclusive contract for years. I mean, until last year, 2017. Uh, wow. So I spent uh, about 95% of my career creating stuff for them that I didn't own. So now the fact that I'm kind of on my own and uh, making my own books and still doing work for hire, but... It's different now because I have I have my own creations as an outlet because with Zenoscope, I didn't. I, I kind of just had to do my stuff under them. Now that I have an ability to shop my own work around elsewhere, I kind of feel even more free in my work for hire because I'm not depending on work for hire to be my only outlet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you were going to that you were going for more self-publishing. Are you working on anyth- on anything right now that we should look forward to? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I I have two things going on right now um, that I'm trying to do with my company, and that's uh, Space Between Entertainment. Space Between, we're kind of envisioning me and my wife and my editor in chief Shannon Lee. And my friend and collaborator, Ryan Fassett, we're all kind of working together to make this into not just a comic book publisher, but an entertainment outlet. We have uh, YouTube shows that we're planning. Like uh, Ryan and I are planning this show called Fast Food Classic, where we review um, in a professionally produced way uh, all the classic fast food items and see if they're worth uh, their their iconic uh, titles, you know? Uh, (laughs) Thank you. And we have our Space Between podcast every week. But on the graphic novel and comics front, um, I do an annual series called Destiny in New York. Um, It is a series about um, former magical girls in love. um, And that is in its second volume, which is already funded on Kickstarter. It's coming out this summer. And then the next book that we have coming out is called Prison Witch. I haven't spoken about that elsewhere yet, but it's written by myself and my wife, Amy. Um, and it's going to hit Kickstarter in uh, 
March of this year, 2018. And yeah, we have some cool, some cool covers and some cool reveals for that. So in the coming uh, weeks, you're going to start seeing things about Prison Witch on Twitter, Facebook, all that as we begin to prep for that launch. Awesome. Okay. Um, so back to your personal stuff. What were some of the, what were, you mentioned a shoebox. What were the first comics you read and did they influence what you first wrote? You know what? I, I would say Creepshow probably did um, be- mm-hmm. because that was the one that wasn't just like a single issue. That was this, this oversized thick book that I opened and it, it scared me so much. And around that time, I was super, super into horror. Like, uh, as I said, I loved reading Arnold Science Goosebumps. And I was also looking for all the books that were kind of uh, trying to follow on the Goosebumps train, like Bone Chillers and Spine Tanglers and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So Creepshow, it was less because it was a comic and it was more because of how it felt um like the natural progression of my reading from those other horror uh, novellas, you know? Um, yeah. But the superhero stuff in there was things like um, there was a Peter David issue of Hulk. Captain America was in there as well. Um, and there was an issue of Rocketeer. But they were sort of just pieces of larger storylines. And I didn't really understand uh, what the comic spying experience was then. So while I read and enjoyed those, I I didn't connect to the the larger narrative. So I was less influenced by that growing up and more things like um, the Goosebumps and Harry Potter and Buffy. So um, if you were to ever write a, a novel you, you said you have four published right now. Yeah, um, yes, yes. If, if somebody, if an artist were to come to you, like, I, I know uh, there's a lot of authors like Neil Gaiman who, who sometimes have artists approach them and say, hey, I want to make this into a graphic novel. Would you be open to that? Is that a is that a difficult process or? Um, well, for the Marvel novels, if someone did that for me, it would mean that I'm getting work from Marvel Comics. So I would say, hell yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would love to do that. Um, but for my original novels that I do plan on putting out, um, I have some young adult novels in the works that I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to get representation for. Um, and it would pretty much depend on the deal, you know. Uh, if if an artist wanted to adopt my work into into a comic, for sure. I mean, I love the idea of a story living in different media. So yes, absolutely. I don't know what it would entail, but whatever it would be, I would love to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so to to finish up. Would you mind giving me like a quote to encapsulate your experience as a writer with comics and and everything? Oh wow, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> yes, you know it's so hard to uh, to kind of um, uh, focus what I'm doing into just a quote, but I'm gonna try to give you my best. And um, all right, I have one, and it's gonna sound depressing. I don't want it to be depressing, but here's what I keep thinking about, right? No one is getting younger. We're all going to die. So why not do exactly what you want? Why not create the exact stories that you want to tell, the exact art that you want to create now while you can? And then that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Well, thank you so much.
Beyond the Panels is a production of Closet Monster Studios. Our theme is composed by Amelia Johnson, and our narrator is Jared Grover. A special thank you to Pat Shand, who you can find on Twitter, at Pat Shand, or in any of the links on our description of this episode. You can find Beyond the Panels on our Twitter, at Beyond Panels Pod, or on our website, beyondpanelspod.wordpress.com, where you can find all kinds of extras and links. Thanks again for joining us, Beyond the Panels.